And a special shout out to all you young people that are here. God bless you for coming and being a part of this evening. I trust that as we look into God's Word together, that we will find refreshment. We just sang about that. There shall be seasons refreshing when we let Christ have His way. We call that surrender. We call that submission. That's something that doesn't come natural for us. In fact, our human nature rebels against the thought of surrendering. And yet it is through surrender, it is through dying to self, that we experience true life in Christ, that resurrection power. I invite you tonight to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 for a text. Earlier this evening we sang a very deep prayer. And in fact, if if you sang that prayer from your heart, then... uh, this message will not be difficult in the least. But we sang, Lord, teach me to love you as your angels love. One holy passion filling all my frame. One holy passion filling all my frame. Frame speaking of of my body, my being. I want to be consumed with one holy passion. Tonight, dear people, we're talking about a passion for purity. A passion for purity. And I ask you, young people and all, how bad do you want that tonight? How bad do you want to experience a life of purity? You can experience that when you let Christ have his way. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 1. Furthermore, then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given unto us His Holy Spirit. Let's just bow our heads. Father, we ask for Your Holy Spirit, that Holy Spirit, to work in our hearts, 
tonight. Lord, may you speak through your word. And may it be effective in the hearts of the listeners tonight. We pray that you would be magnified above all. In Christ's name, amen. I would like to speak to you this evening about something that is often considered a private matter. And rightly so. Yet it's an area of life that many people, and in fact, many Christians, struggle with. And in many cases, the struggle goes on and on and on far too long because it's a private matter. And people are are uncomfortable to talk about it because it's a private matter. And yet I find it interesting that when someone fails in this area of their life, It doesn't take long for this to become a a rather public matter. We're talking this evening about sexual purity. And I ask you again, how bad do you want that? How bad do you want it? Our culture is absolutely infatuated with sexual pleasure. I don't have to tell you that. You see that. You feel that. You understand that. And it seems that all things sexual has a stranglehold on our society. It seems like in the day we live, it is becoming increasingly difficult to live in this world, to live in this culture, and to not be tainted with the filth that is so prevalent around us. We are bombarded with pressures. The temptations are more in our face than they used to be. And it can feel overwhelming. It can feel discouraging. And that the Bible says that His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Through what? Through the knowledge of Him that called us to glory and virtue. Through the knowledge, that's speaking of experiential knowledge. It's speaking of a living living participation with Jesus Christ. Knowing Him. Through the knowledge of Him that has called us to glory and virtue. I am convinced, dear people that it would do us well to be more open with someone that we trust when it comes to this matter of sexual purity. Maybe it's your dad. Maybe it's your mom. Maybe it's a close friend that you can trust. Maybe it's your pastor or your pastor's wife. You see, when it comes to sexual struggles, secrecy is the silent killer. And many people have been caught in that trap of silence because it's a private matter and they're embarrassed and they feel like no one would understand. And the devil loves that, absolutely loves that. 
And as long as you're quiet, he's got you. There's something about sexual struggles and temptations that are very, very strong, very powerful. And we would like to think that we can handle them by ourselves. We would like to think that we just need to work harder. We just need to be more diligent. We might need to put another filter or something. We want to handle it. We're afraid to say anything. But there's something about confession. There's something about when you break that silence and make it public with someone you trust, the devil can't handle that. That is a key to finding victory when it comes to sexual struggles. And it also reveals how bad you want it. I say that openness is often the beginning to finding deliverance and restored peace in your life. Having an honest discussion about sexual purity with someone that you trust is a powerful key to helping you experience victory in this life, in this area of your life. The scripture says, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. Public confession is key to experiencing healing and victory, especially in the area of sexual temptation and struggle. And along with that, as you do that, it establishes the opportunity for ongoing accountability, which is a beautiful thing. You know, it's the conversation sort of like this. Oh, you mean you struggle with that too? You mean I'm not stupid? <laughs> you mean you understand what I'm talking about? I thought I was the only one that must have this problem. No, you're not the only one. Believe me. Believe me. There's many of us out there tonight that know exactly how you feel and what you're going through. You would be surprised. And so tonight, if you're struggling with sexual purity in your life, then I sincerely hope that this message can be the nudge that you need to find restored power and freedom in your life. And if this is something that you are not struggling with, praise God. Praise God. You have much to be thankful for. Keep living for the Lord. Make Him your one and only passion. And perhaps you can be a source of strength and life to someone who is struggling. You see, I believe that purity and power go hand in hand. They are very closely connected. A person who is living a life of purity, a person who is daily walking with God, who is minding uh, the speaking of the Spirit, is a person that also has a spiritual power in their life. They have confidence in life. They have nothing to hide. They can look you in the eye with sincerity. There is a, a special blessing experience there to that person. But a person who is choosing to gratify the flesh is a defeated person. A defeated person. And there are a few things that will take a person down as fast 
and is hard and render them as powerless and ineffective as sexual sin. The weight of guilt produces such a heaviness of spirit. And they have little confidence. And they have little power. And they can't quite look at you in the eye with sincerity. There's there's shiftiness there. It's because there's not peace in their heart. There's a restlessness. And yet, spirit, spiritual power, is God's promise to the believer. And it's something that we all want. Amen? That's something that I want to experience. In fact, Jesus said that ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1 that when we truly know God, we can then experience the exceeding greatness of His power. And he says, it's just like that power that was wrought in Christ when God raised Him from the dead. Isn't that amazing? That we can experience in our lives today a similar power that was exerted in Jesus Christ in rising from the grave. We call it resurrection power. And I ask you, do you think a power such as that can deliver you in that moment of temptation? Do you believe a power such as that can bring you out alive, as it were, when you're struggling with sexual sin? Absolutely, dear people, it can. But it can be lost when we fail to mind the Spirit and instead feed the flesh. Paul writes, to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Let's look at our passage here. And let's note what this passage says about why we should have a passion for purity. Why? What's the big deal anyway? Well, first of all, because it pleases God. A passion for purity pleases God. And so Paul wanted the believers to live a life that pleases God. And he says, in a sense, we have told you how to live in order to please God. But now we want to urge you to grow in that. We want to urge you to abound more and more. Don't just become okay with where you're at. Yes, you're doing well in this, but now let's grow. Let's grow. And one of the ways that you can do that is to live a life of purity. Dear young people, tonight I want you to catch a vision for living a life that honors the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul said, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. You see, in fact, all of life must be consistently challenged with this criteria. Does it bring glory to God? And I want you to think about that. Think about your hobbies. Think about your sports pursuits. Think about your business. Think about the way you dress. Think about your friends Think about the way you handle your body. Think about the way you spend your time online. Do these things bring glory to God? All of life must be consistently challenged with that that question. 
And so how do we please God? Well, Romans 8 verse 8 says, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Or those who are controlled by the demands of the flesh cannot please God. And then we read in Hebrews that without faith, it is impossible to please Him. You see, we please God when we prove that we believe in Him by obeying His Word. Obeying His Word. That's faith. No, to our natural minds, it doesn't quite make sense. And yet, God's Word spells it out. Do you believe it? We prove, I say, that we believe God when we obey His Word. You see, when we choose to say yes to the flesh, we are in essence saying no to God. <laughs> because we can't say yes to both at the same time. Now, we don't like to think about it like that. But, but in, in reality, that's how it is. So what we are really saying is that, you know, God, I'd rather do it my own way. You know, I think that this would feel good. And, and I don't think that you would have a problem with this. Or you, I think that you want me to enjoy life. You know, I, I don't believe that you intended for me to live such a strict life. I believe you want me to be happy. That's what the flesh is saying. But God's word says in Romans 8 verse 1, if you live after the flesh, no, that's not that verse. It's another verse. But if you live after the flesh, you will die. But if you, through the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Through the Spirit, if you, through the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the body, ye shall live. And it takes, dear people, the work and the power of the Holy Spirit within you to do business with the deeds of the flesh. You cannot handle them on your own. You are not strong enough in and of yourself to handle that. You need the help of another, Jesus Christ, and the work of His Holy Spirit within you. And so I call you tonight to not just be okay with coming to Jesus Christ and saying, forgive my sins, amen, thank you, but call out the Holy Spirit to be poured afresh upon your life and say, Lord, I need you. Yes, I want to die to self, but I need your life in me to live in victory. And that happens through the work of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.16 Walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Walk in the Spirit. Make your way of life a time of walking, walking with the Spirit. It's all about who's in control. It's all about who's calling the shots in your life. God is glorified when we believe His Word, and that is proven by obedience. A passion for purity, it pleases God. Secondly, why should we have a passion for purity? Because it's God's will. It's God's will for you. You know, there's a lot of things that aren't so crystal clear in the Bible. And in fact, there's a lot of things that we scratch our heads a little about. We can't quite figure it out. 
It's not clear. Dear people, sexual purity is not one of those. Okay? The Bible makes it crystal clear that that is God's will for your life. To handle yourself, to handle your body in a way that pleases God, that honors Him. Verse 3, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication, from sexual immorality. And so sexual purity is God's will for each one of us. Paul writes, it's God's will that you should be sanctified. It's God's will that you should avoid sexual immorality. It's God's will that you should learn how to handle your own body. That's God's will for you. Now, he didn't say it's easy, but he said it's God's will. And what better place, dear people, to be than in the center of God's will? That is truly where we experience the riches of His grace. The richest blessings. And dear young people, you will find the greatest measure of power, of purpose, and of peace when you have a passion for pursuing God's will for your life. Now, what does it mean to be sanctified? Paul says here that it's God's will for you to be sanctified, even your sanctification. What does that mean? It means to be made holy, to be made free from sin. And certainly, this isn't something that we can do on our own. This is none other than the awesome work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. You see, we are sinful. We have a bent to gratify our flesh. We have a bent to go our own way. That is the human nature. But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. Wow, praise God for His mercy. Praise God for His unmerited love that He has poured upon us. That should bring us to our knees in full surrender to Him, saying, Lord, what will You have me to do? I don't deserve that. What would You have me to do? In fact, that response is always the response to a genuine salvation experience. When you have truly experienced Jesus Christ in your life, when you have truly turned your heart over to Him, when you have experienced that work of the blood of Jesus Christ being shed on your life and cleansing you from your sin, you will be so overcome with the mighty grace of God that it will cause you to say, Lord, how can I serve you? In fact, we have that recorded different times in the Scripture. Think of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6. Think of the Apostle Paul, Saul, in his uh, time with Jesus there on the road to Damascus. And God is saying here to us, it is His will that you are sanctified. And this can happen only through a vibrant relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, where He is in us and we are in Him. It's a very tight connection with Him. 
a favorite verse of mine, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30. And I want you to think about, as I read this verse, think about the, the, the completely entwined relationship there is between the Lord Jesus Christ, between God, Jesus, us. Think of it. But of Him, or because of God, are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. You know, we often think of of how Jesus Christ gives us these things. He gives us wisdom. He gives us righteousness. He, He gives us sanctification. He gives us redemption. But as I see that verse, it speaks somewhat differently. That verse says that He is those things. Jesus Christ is sanctification. He is wisdom. He is righteousness. He is redemption. And as we experience that vibrant relationship with Him, as He is within us, then we have that through the relationship with Him. Jesus Christ embodies those. And through that relationship with Him, we then also experience that within us. That's beautiful. That's powerful. It's God's will that we are sanctified. Now, you see, as you think about that verse, as Christ is within us, as He is the very embodiment of those things, then sanctification is happening in our life. It is an ongoing process when Jesus Christ is on the throne of our life when we are allowing that beautiful character of Jesus to be seen in us, when we are living a life of repentance, sanctification is happening within us. John writes, If we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin." He also writes, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you think that includes sexual sin? Absolutely it does. Absolutely it does. You see, this thing of sanctification is an ongoing process, as I said. We are being sanctified as we go through the day and we are choosing moment after moment to serve Christ. Yes, Lord. Thank you. Yes, Lord. No flesh. I don't know you. You're dead. Remember? Yes, Lord. And it's that it's that constant attitude of surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ, where we continually choose him as Lord of our life. We surrender to him. We put the flesh to death. I die daily, the Apostle Paul said. And I certainly need to as well in order to live in victory. It must be a conscious, a conscious daily decision for us. It's all about living a life of daily submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And you know, submission to the will of God is always a positive thing, believe it or not, because it always results in victory. It always does. Thirdly, then, what do we find in this passage for 
having a passion for purity. Why should we have a passion for purity? Verse 4, because it's the honorable thing to do. That's why. It's the honorable thing to do. Verse 4 says that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Do you know how to handle your body with honor? Do you handle your body with honor? When you're all alone? We ought to know how to do that, the Bible says. You know, sexual purity is always the honorable thing to do. Not only in God's eyes, but this is interesting. It's always the honorable thing to do in man's eyes as well. And as dirty and unfaithful as our society is, men and women of integrity are still held in honor. They're still held in honor. It's still more honorable to be married to your first wife. It's still more honorable to not flirt with the opposite gender. Men, it's still more honorable to not touch a woman. It's still more honorable to not view pornography. It's still more honorable. And I say, young people and old, let us rise up and be men and women who are honorable. Men and women of honor that are holding forth the word of life in the way we live our lives. Let us purpose in our hearts, young people, uh, to be as Daniel many years ago when he said that he would not defile himself. Young people, I challenge you and I urge you uh, to take the example of Moses to heart and forsake those short pleasures of sin and side with the people of God. And there are some short pleasures that go along with sin. They're short. I want you to understand, though, with those short pleasures come lifelong consequences. Short pleasures, lifelong consequences. Couples, let us be shining examples of faithfulness to our marriage partner. Oh, our communities are riddled with unfaithfulness. In the little community that our family lives in, there might be 10 or 12 houses within a quarter mile stretch there, and at least half of them are not married either live-in partners or divorce and remarried situations, at least half of them. I say, we have such an opportunity these days, married couples, families, to be shining examples of faithfulness. We live in a very dark world when it comes to family structure and faithfulness. Our world doesn't know what that means. With the help of God, show them. Show them. Sexual purity is the honorable thing to do. And I just ask you, how do you want to be remembered? How do you want to be remembered? It's been said that little mistakes are forgotten 
integrity mistakes are forever. And don't get me wrong, there is forgiveness. Absolutely, there is forgiveness with God. But integrity mistakes leave deep scars, deep scars. Why should we have a passion for purity? Verse 7, because it's the Christian's calling, that's why. Verse 7, for God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. Purity is the Christian's calling. God has called us to holiness. 1 Peter 1.15 But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, or in all areas of life, be holy. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Hebrews 12, verse 14, Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And so, what is holiness anyway? Holiness is that inner desire, that inner longing to be like God. And our God is a God of complete and beautiful purity. The scripture says that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Can you, can you imagine that? A God that, that has absolutely no taint of darkness. Complete, brilliant light. Holiness is to be like that, is to desire that, is to long for that. Holiness is that earnest desire to, to flee from spiritual darkness and to walk as a child of light. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We'll begin at verse 14, but just as a little bit of an introduction here. The Apostle Paul is saying, Dear Corinthians, I have something heavy that I need to share with you. And, and we, we have not held back from, from sharing with you. We have spoken freely to you. Uh, we have opened our hearts wide to you. But we feel like you are withholding from us. We feel like you are not, you are not being completely open with us. And so the Apostle Paul begs them, as a fair exchange, please open your hearts to us. Please hear what we have to say. And then he shares this, verse 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And then here in these two verses, we have some contrasting ideas that demand answers. It's the method that Paul is is bringing to the people to help them understand where they are. In a sense, they're going to judge themselves by how they answer these questions. I find that fascinating. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? And so he's asking these questions 
It's contrasting ideas that demand an answer. He says, how do they have anything to do with each other? And the obvious answer is, they don't. (laughs) These two things do not fit together. They are on opposite spectrums. And then he drops the bomb, as it were, in verse 16. He says, for ye are the temple of the living God. In a sense, he had brought them to condemning themselves by how they answered the obvious questions leading up to it. These things have nothing to do with each other. They're as different as light and darkness. And then he says, what agreement had the temple of God with idols? You are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And you think that you can have impurity in your life and God too? Think again. God doesn't live in the same house as sin. And then he goes on to say in verse 17, Wherefore come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. 7.1 Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and of the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Holiness. A passion for purity. God does not share a heart with sexual impurity. The Spirit of God does not rule and reign in a heart that is living and breathing with sexual immorality, a life that is acting in that way. No, He doesn't. And the call is to each one of us tonight, come out from that. Come away from that. And God says, when you do that, I will receive you and I will be unto you as a father is to his children, loving, caring, providing, protecting. Number five, then, why should we have a passion for purity? It indicates our love for God and for others. A passion for purity indicates our love for God and others. We find this back in our text in verses 6 and 8. Verses 6 and 8. We read there that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter or in this matter that is in focus. Because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. And then verse 8, he therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. I have a question for you, fellas. How would you feel if you found out that some other man or God forbid a brother in the church was having lustful thoughts about your girlfriend or your wife or your daughter? How would that make you feel? I can tell you, you would be very upset. 
You'd be very upset. And you would think something like this. How can you do this to me? Where is the respect? Where is the love? Do you not care about me? What a slap in my face. And then we start to see it a little differently, don't we? That no man go beyond and defraud his brother in this matter. You see, when we indulge in sexual immorality, whether it's through our our eyes or our thoughts or our actions, we are defrauding another. We are trying to take advantage of someone in order to gratify our own lustful desires. We are trying to take possession of something that is not ours to have. That's defrauding another. And so sexual purity, it indicates our love and respect for those around us. As we live a life of purity, we are in essence telling those around us, I love you, I respect you, I care for you. But it's so much more than that. It's so much more than that. Because sexual purity indicates our sincere love for God. In verse 8, we see that. So when you you are not living a life of purity, when you are walking down that path of sexual immorality, you are basically slapping God in the face. It's not so much that you are defrauding man, which you are, but it goes even much further than that. It goes back to God. You are despising God. It says He has even given you His Holy Spirit. He has made a way of escape. He has given you His Spirit that guides you into all truth. And you are carelessly neglecting that when you go down that path of sexual immorality. You see, God did not design for you to fight these battles alone. But He has given us His Spirit that strengthens us, that empowers us, that gives us victory as we mind His promptings. And so, when we allow ourselves uh, to wander down that dark path of sexual immorality, we are not only taking advantage of another, but we are also showing great disrespect to our loving Heavenly Father. Now, let's notice yet this evening a few more things. Let's consider the how of sexual purity. We looked at the why. Why should we live a a life of purity? Why should we have a passion for purity? But now let's just notice, how can we do that? How can we live a life of purity? And Paul says here in verses 4 and 5 that we need to learn how to control our body in a way that is holy. Learn how to control our body in a way that is honorable. Not in passionate lust like the heathen who don't know God. In other words, when we allow and we practice sexual immorality in our life, Paul's saying, we're acting just like the heathen who don't know God and they don't care. It's not on their radar. They're living to feed the flesh. 
But when we are going down that path of sexual immorality, then we are putting ourselves in the camp of the heathen. And therein lies the answer to how you have a life of purity, and that is, dear people, to know God. To know God. (laughs) And that word know has the idea of, of experiencing, of feeling, of seeing, of tasting. It's a very intimate term. In fact, you know from the Old Testament that that word know or knew is often used referring to an intimate relationship between a husband and wife. It is a very similar thing here. It is an intimate relationship to know God, to experience Him, to feel Him, to taste Him as it were. We're not talking about a head knowledge, a knowing of God, but we're talking about a heart experience that fleshes itself out in the way I live my everyday life. That's truly knowing God. You see, too many Christians today try to grow without making knowing God a daily experience. Too many Christians today try to fight the battles of life without daily feeding on God's Word. And they struggle, and they struggle. And their Christian life is is like a, a roller coaster ride at best with ups and downs and ups and downs and victories and defeats and victories and defeats. And, and it's a miserable existence. And they wonder, is this what the Christian life was all about? This is not how they preach in the pulpits. What am I missing? And they can't seem to figure out what the problem is. And I say, are you kidding? You see, no soldier would ever think about going into the thick of the the battle, going into enemy territory without his weapon. No outdoorsman in his right mind would think about hiking into grizzly-infested territory without at least a hot handgun. But yet, how many Christians today carelessly stroll into the battles of life without the sword of the word, or at least a proper understanding of how to handle it? Far too many do. And I say, are you kidding? And then they can't seem to figure out what the problem is. The psalmist David wrote in Psalm 119, How shall a young man cleanse his way? And the answer is obvious. By taking heed thereto according to thy word. He says, with my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. And I ask you tonight, what place does the word of God have in your life? That means everything. What place does the word of God have in your life? You think you know God? You think you really know God? Start quoting me Scripture. Start quoting me Scripture. Is the Word in you or not? Because most battles you run into, you're not going to be carrying your Bible. 
How are you going to defeat the devil in that? How are you going to defeat your flesh in that? How are you going to come out victorious? Give me some scripture. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. I ask you again, what is the place of the word in your life? There's too many Christians that feel just pretty pleased with themselves because they start the day reading the Bible for maybe 10 minutes. But then, believe it or not, throughout the rest of the day, they put in at least an hour of foolish, frivolous video watching. Now, I want you to tell me, which is most influential in their life, do you think? And if God's Word, they say, well, God's Word, God's Word. Okay, well then why were they doing that? I mean, what is influencing what? What place does God's Word have in your life? Is it actually controlling you? And if it is, that will then, that will then affect your other decisions throughout the day. What you give yourself to, what you think about, how you act, how you handle your body. That then becomes the driving factor. That becomes your worldview and you, worldview and you live out of that. So I'm just saying, if you say that you know God, if you say you're a believer, then give it to me. Because you're going to need that in times of temptation. You're going to need the Word of God within you in order to come away victorious. And so the Apostle Paul says in another place, he says, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto His death. And we like part of that verse really much. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. Sign me up. That's what I want. That's what I want to know. I want that to be a part of me. But dear people, Knowing God begins at the cross. Knowing God begins at the cross. The Apostle Paul was saying there, I, I want to experience, I want to feel, I want to see, I want to taste the power and the work of God in my life. I long to have an intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I want Him to be an inseparable part of me. But in order for that to happen, there has to be the cross experience. There has to be a death to self. And so, you know, there could never be Easter without Good Friday. And the same is true in our lives today. You can never experience the resurrection power of the Lord Jesus Christ in your life without, first of all, experiencing that death at the cross. The one must have to come first. I just simply can't overemphasize enough, young people and all of you, the importance of staying current with the Lord Jesus Christ. It is absolutely essential to living a victorious Christian life. I remember a story that always saddens my heart. It was some years ago, I was there in our bakery, and I was making donuts, and a brother from our congregation walked in back into the kitchen where I was, 
And he came up to me and he said, uh, Josh, we're going to need to talk. He said, I've had some failures in my life. And I said, okay. I said, uh, we'll do that. And just shortly then thereafter, uh, I met with him in private. And I just can still picture the tears streaming down his face. This big, strong man. He said, you know, in that moment of temptation, he said, I've been powerless. I've been powerless. And he went on to recount this tragic story of how he got into viewing pornography on his phone. And it went further and further until he was in communication with a woman other than his wife. And the tears were just streaming down his face. And I was just, I was just in shock. And I said, brother, how could you do that? And you know what he told me? He said, well, we've been so busy at work the last while. We had so much to do early mornings, late nights. We've been stressed out. I've been working so hard and just so much stress on me. And, and, I, and, and I haven't been taking the time for God like I should. And I haven't been spending time in the Bible. Dear people, it happens every time. It happens every time. When was the last time someone got up at church and said something like this? Uh, brothers and sisters, I, I ask you to pray for me. I, I've been struggling in my spiritual life. I'm just having a hard time finding consistent victory. And, and I can't figure it out because I have a vibrant relationship with God. And I mean, I have a rich prayer life. I've been feasting on the word and I have good fellowship. No, it never goes like that. It goes like this. Brothers and sisters, I ask you to pray for me. I've been struggling in my spiritual life and I've been just really having a difficult experience. And I confess, I, I haven't been staying current with Christ. I, I've been neglecting my devotions. That's how it goes every time. And for some reason, we don't seem to get it, okay? We don't seem to get it. Just a verse or two in the morning and we're off on our way. Lord, help me. Thank you for Jesus. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. I say we must know God. We must know God. We must develop that vibrant relationship with Him. That relationship of, of feeling Him, seeing Him, tasting Him, experiencing His work in our lives. The answer, I say, to sexual immorality is to know God. Let's just notice yet two that's from this passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Two that's. And the first is in verse 3. That you should abstain from sexual immorality. Abstinence. Wow. It's not a very popular word in today's world. But it's a powerful one, dear people. It's a powerful one. Sexual purity involves a daily conscious decision. It will not happen on its own. It certainly is not our default. I say it takes a daily conscious decision to live a life of purity. And so a young person who has a passion for God, a passion for purity, one who values their peace with God, they will be willing to abstain from fleshly lusts, 
that war against their soul. And they will be quick to identify those things. Okay? What are those things in your life? No doubt there's some things in your life that have that potential to war against your soul. What are you doing about them? Are you taking them seriously? Are you identifying them as problem areas, as dangers to your spiritual vitality? Once again, 2 Corinthians 7, 1, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. You know, we go to church on Sunday mornings or Wednesday evenings, and we talk about our desire to be more like Christ. We talk, our de- like, we talk about our desire to, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ to grow in perfection. And we sing, Lord Jesus, I long to be perfectly whole. I want you forever to live in my soul. Break down every idol, cast out every foe. Now wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. We sing that. And yet, in the back of our heart, we know that there's some things that we never intend to give up. You know, like our music or our social media or our smartphone, I mean, hello. (laughs) I mean, like, those are not negotiables. I mean, you can't even live without a smartphone, right? Thank you. But yet there's something within us. You know, we're willing to give certain things to God. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. I'll give you things that I don't really care about anyway. But here's a group that, well, I mean, these... Like I have, I mean, that's just part of life. What are those things to you? What are those things to you? What is it that is robbing you of your peace with God? It may not be any of the three things I mentioned. It may be something else. But what is it? Is there something in your life that is robbing you of consistent victory? That is stealing your zeal for the Lord? that is getting in the way, coming between you and the Savior. Whatever it is, victory is found when you abstain. God will honor that. God will honor that. That is proof that you are serious with God. You mean business with God. God doesn't look at that lightly. He will honor that. There's another that that we just want to notice here as well, and that's in verse 4. And that is that you know how to possess your vessel or that you know how to control your body. You understand that God never intended for you to use your sexuality as a means of self-gratification. Do you understand that? A lot of people don't seem to understand that very well. God never intended for you to use your sexuality as a means of self-gratification. I mean, your own conscience tells you that. (laughs) Why don't you listen to it? But our great creator God amazingly designed our sexuality to be reserved for and to be enjoyed only within the warm, rich confines of a loving marriage relationship. That is his design. That's his purpose. And I tell you, young people, save it for that alone. Save it for that alone. Many couples today, 
have regrets. Oh, I wish we wouldn't have done that. Oh, I wish I wouldn't have handled my body like that. And that fosters distrust in their marriage relationship. It haunts them for years. I say it's one of those deep scars that's hard to erase. Yes, there is forgiveness. Praise God for that. But I just want to give you a fair warning and through the truth of the word, save your body for what God intended it for. You see, how you handle your body today has the potential to make or break your marriage tomorrow. It really does. And so once again, sexual purity doesn't just happen. It has to be learned. It has to be sought for. It has to be fought for. But dear young people, it is worth the battle. It is worth your every effort through the power of the Holy Spirit. Fight it. Fight it. I would just like to close with several verses in chapter 5. Turn a page or two. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 21. Prove all things. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from all appearance of evil. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. Brethren, pray for us. Pray for us. When I read that, what rings in my ear is the need for accountability. The need for accountability. The realization that when it comes to sexual struggles, sexual temptations, you need your brothers and sisters around you. You may think, you may think that you can do it alone. You cannot. You cannot. You need, first of all, the help of another. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you need the help of those around you that love you and care about you. And it is through that that victory can be experienced. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. There is hope. And there is victory. There is healing. And you can experience seasons of refreshing as you let Christ have His way.